Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn from Focus Compounding on air live with Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great with everybody else as well. If this is the first time you're tuning in with us, thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to check out all of our content that we push out into the internet. Uh, best way to do that is to follow me on Twitter at, at Focus Compound. Uh, go to focuscompound.com to get access to investment write-ups from Jeff going all the way back to 2005. And of course, if you're interested in learning about our money management services, you could reach out to me at andrew at focuscompounding.com, or you could click that invest with us tab on our website to get more information on that. So Jeff, are you going to go to the Eras Tour? Taylor Swift at movie theaters. Today's October 9th that we're recording this. So I don't know when this is going to, we'll probably be within a week or oh, a yeah. week into it being uh, out, but you're going to, you, are you a Swifty? You're going to go? No, no, uh, no. We'll see. Now, if the theaters keep putting out things that aren't movies, you know, I might not have a record of going every week, uh, upheld there. Yeah. 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 They, uh, it uh, is a good option, I guess, for a lot of people to go because considering how expensive her, her actual concert tickets mm-hmm. are, um, you know, I mean, like crazy expensive, four or five figures. And um, it was interesting. So like in the NFL, for people that watch football or whatever, I'm sure you've heard about it too. There's been like Travis Kelsey's a tight end for the Chiefs, and oh, yeah. she went to like one of his games or whatever. Now it's mm-hmm. become like this big thing in the NFL, and supposedly now daughters are watching uh, football games with their parents, and when historically they didn't care because of Taylor Swift. And I was thinking in the back of my mind, I'm like, I wonder if this is all sort of a publicity thing because yeah. of the Eras Tour. I mean, it mm-hmm. coincidentally just lined up perfectly with yeah. her new uh, mm-hmm. tour that is coming to theaters here next week or at the end of the week. Well, they have PR people, so. Yeah. It's amazing how many people who are uh, the leading uh, actor and actress in a movie end up together for a brief period around the time that they need to promote the movie. Yeah, yeah. You know. It, there are no coincidences. I was like, ah, I don't know about this. <laughs> this is kind of weird, you know? Kind of weird. Anyways, uh yeah, so in today's podcast, Chef, we're going to talk about board composition and your thoughts on okay. board, incentivizing boards, and stuff of that nature. Somebody had emailed in, and again, for people listening, send me an email with your question that you want us to go over on the podcast, andrew at focuscompound.com. But the email says, was wondering if you guys have ever considered doing a pod on analyzing boards, uh, the importance of boards board dynamics, etc. Without naming names, obviously, I don't know too many podcasts talking about it. feel like you guys have seen everything under the sun in microcap land. Ha Mm -hmm. ha ha. So um, we could talk about that. One thing you had sent to me about a month ago, which we actually talked about this Substack in one of the recent podcasts, uh, Letter 54, George Roberts. And this was, uh, he goes over a talk or an essay or talk that one of the co-founders of KKR gave. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to um, Just the old a days. Just a letter a day, right? Yeah, a letter a yeah. day. And I'll put the link in the description. Okay. And he talks about the role of a board 
and how he sees it. And you mm-hmm. sent this to me and you said, I basically agree with everything that he lists. Oh, I, and, I agree with everything that he lists. I don't think yeah. it's practical for something that's not private equity controlled, but yes, I do. Uh-huh. And we can go over that here, the, these bullet points here in a second. But, you know, maybe we could talk about like the change of uh, or the shift of boards over time, right? And how they have shifted. Maybe like Buffett 1.0, what the typical board situation was like and compared mm-hmm. to today. I want to get your thoughts on that. And I want to also okay. hear your thoughts on in a world of like State Street and BlackRock basically owning every chunk uh, or a, a chunk of every company, public company, it seems, in, in the United States, at least like the large ones, like what your thoughts are on that as well? And like the mm-hmm. shift towards passiveness and how that has changed the overall dynamic of uh, a public company board. So maybe in your own words, what is the role of a board? If you were to set up a board, let's say, give an example of if you controlled one, if you're going to control it, and also if you weren't going to control it, what is the role of a board in a public company? Okay. So this gets us into like legal things and whatever, of what it's supposed to be, which is what some people will argue about for things versus what, you know, practically can be and should be and on all of that. Um, you know, the, the purpose of a board is to represent shareholders, I would say. So one way of thinking about it is um, in, imagine instead of the system that we have in the United States um, for, uh, of a of federal government and, and all of those things and the way in which we hold those elections, imagine the national governments in under the Westminster, Westminster system instead of the Washington system, right? Parliaments. So the people, once every five years or irregular times in many countries or whatever, would elect a bunch of people and that they'd have a vote. And one of these groups or a coalition of them would have enough votes to uh, form a government and they form this cabinet and stuff. Now that cabinet is basically what their their relationship to the public is basically what the relationship of directors to the shareholders should be, which is this is a um, realistically this is a consensus in agreement majority group and does not represent the outside uh, minority thing. So like if this is 55% of the voters want this, the board is not there to have a variety of the different views. It is actually functioning and carrying out uh, stuff. So it doesn't have, normally boards don't have dissident directors on them in the same way that a government in a, in a parliamentary system has uh, a minority in parliament, but they don't invite them into the cabinet, right? So the government itself that does all these things uh, is, you know, completely shuts out the outside views. So same thing here with directors. It's not really for debating the things that will be decided in the shareholder votes, right? Nor should it be. But it's for carrying things out. And then it's just a question of Buffett's stewardship thing. That's it. They pick people, right, to run things, and they monitor those people. And... There's a lot of talk about management and stuff. We can talk about that. But to the, for the most part, a lot of things about management and leadership, I think, overlook from the shareholder perspective, the more important thing is stewardship. It, a lot of it is not necessarily that important in terms of what your strategy is, as in terms of uh, that you're the right person with the right attitude to carry these things out and that you do a good job of it. 
And that is a ton of what the actual results you're going to get are and not what the company says that, you know, all these about all these things. Whereas if you read a management book, it's going to look at it from the other perspective of strategy and all of these things. Those aren't necessarily the most important things to investors, you know, um, when I've the, the important things to investors are like the alignment and the accountability and all and also the drive to action to being active and stuff um, of a management team more so than what strategy they adopt and stuff. Sure, we talked about Six Flags and things. The strategy is critical and what they choose to do and everything. And there's a big pivot there. But for the most part, uh, the fact that these people are working hard, um, that their interests are aligned with yours and that they're honest and trustworthy and all those things is really the stuff that's important when we talk about management and when we talk about directors. And this is where the board and management at a lot of companies it's hard to say which is which and stuff. So like a lot of times when we say that we like management stuff, you have to be careful because the controlling shareholders or the board may actually be much more important in the long run in a company than management. And I think when we talk about things, we usually jump past the board and jump to, I like management or I don't like management. At some companies, management may not be there very long, may not have a lot of ability to decide things. And at others, they may dominate it. It depends on the setup of what the major shareholders are and the um, board and stuff. So thinking about owners and operators both matters. And a lot of companies are going to be invested in, you're actually smaller than some of the biggest owners. And so sometimes the owner matters more, right? Um, so that's the, the purpose of the board for that reason is like to, the KKR we'll talk about it is like monitoring and creating these guidelines and things for things that are carried out. But the truth is, you know, I compared it to like the parliament thing it's more like granting someone a fief in like a feudal system, right? The you're actually, you know, as the king or whatever, giving some count land. Um, he, it is his to do with in your place. Right. And that functionally is what you're going to end up with in most of these cases. Uh, you're not going to be directing those things, whether we're talking about the, um, the, the board or at very big companies, even the CEO to other heads of business units, you're really turning that over for them to run and stuff. And so it's making sure the right person is there and they're aligned with doing the things that the company wants and everything more than it's really about telling them what strategy to adopt. And so it is like having uh, relationships that are built on the, the quality of the people there and what they're doing and that they're all pulling for the same sort of thing. You have said that you don't mind investing in a company if the board is controlled by one investor or maybe a couple yeah. or whatever. But I mean, that seems kind of, I think that scares a lot of people. Do you want to talk about why that is? Sure. So I, I don't necessarily think that being controlled by one um, party or something um, is going to make it less likely that someone is going to steal a lot of stuff or to use things in a way that isn't going to benefit you. Um, a very split up shareholder base, a very split up or inactive board and stuff um, isn't going to be much of a protection in some cases, right? What a concentrated board, a concentrated ownership group, whatever is going to do is going to amplify whatever there is there. So people talk about it like there's good board systems and bad. There's there's best governments, governance practices and bad. Um, the same governance practices the same system set up 
is radically different, whether it is um, names of people we won't mention, but fraudsters and stuff, or Warren Buffett. The same exact setup has completely different purposes in each. And if you have a very discretionary setup with the one that, like I just gave the example of, say, the king giving land to, to different people because he can't handle it himself and they have to do it. Uh, if you have a great person doling those things out and picking who to put in charge of each thing, you want them to have a lot of discretion. You don't want a lot of second guessing. And actually, it's all these counselors and stuff who are making all those decisions. You don't want that. But if the person is dishonest and going to give it to all their cronies and stuff, then you do want that, right? Um, so I think a lot of the things that people think are best for boards and for governance and stuff, I think is, um, carrying out, um, certain rules that have been decided on that is window dressing that, uh, does nothing to improve any governance things. And in fact, sometimes is used specifically because they're going to be up to no good and uh, this will protect them in those situations. So, yeah, you can have a board that's completely independent, filled with people from nonprofits and stuff, but they're probably nonprofits you give money to and everything, and these people wouldn't otherwise get on a board. And so it's really a board that has no control over their CEO when you do that. Um, many of the boards I've seen that people say are the best and whatever I think are the worst. So, or, you know, are quite bad. I now, why is worst. that? Some are more blatantly the worst, but... <laughs> Well, what, because what they, have no, about them? they have no teeth. Yeah. They have no interest in protecting. They own no stock. They have no interest in protecting you. They can't stand up to the CEO or challenge or anything because, A, they may not have any business judgment because they don't understand the business or business. Um, they may have things that they depend on that way for serving as a board person. Usually they're set up so that they're, they they feel that they should be serving a lot of masters, in which case they serve none. So they, they will list, you know, the easiest way to have no accountability. I mean, there's a few different ways to have no accountability. One is to be a really big group, right? It's easy to have no accountability if we're like, well, there's like 15 of us instead of there's five, then, you know, none of us was responsible for doing anything bad that happened you know it just it just evolved out of the natural process of it and mistakes were made and we don't have to take responsibility for it but the other way of doing it is saying i have all these priorities uh i prioritize the shareholder and the employees and um and the country i you know we want to do what's best for the nation and we want to do what's best for the planet and we want to do what's best for our suppliers and our customers and we also want to do what's best for, um, you know, and it goes on and on, right? And there's no quantitative way to compare those things about it. There's They're just statements because there's no way to tell if what people say is what they're actually doing, which is the case in many of these. Um, so they could say that they care a lot about those things and then not care at all about it, or they could care a lot about it and not say it. There's many cases where they do care a great deal and they don't mention it. And then there's others where they say a lot about it, but it's a total uh, lie, right? Um, so the, whereas if it was accountability in terms of certain measures that are easy to measure, then we would know, right? Um, so, you know, vague objectives and stuff, you've seen how CEOs are compensating stuff. It's an incredibly complicated pie chart that blends everything together in complex ways so that it cannot be based on a formula that has only a few things to maximize. Um, so if you really think about it, you know, um, it, it doesn't push very hard for maximization of a single variable or something. 
um, which would be more obvious, right? If you compensated on, on a basis like that. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, um, yeah, it's the same thing as how you write a 10 K or something when you don't want people or, you know, legal things or whatever, right? If you don't want someone to get information that you don't want them to have, you don't destroy the information and hide it from them and stuff. They ask for it and you instead give them a thousand pages of information instead of one. They won't find it. I mean, nowadays they'll probably run some AI thing on it instead of having a person read it because, you know, so who knows what you can hide for discovery things or stuff. So, you know, same thing with the 10K, you know, um, the longer the 10K, like the, the worse it is that way. The longer the stuff about the board, it's not better. Um, you know, it could be or not, but they're making you focus on it. Sure. So he had said that he had felt uh, that there are five measures companies can institute that can help assure that shareholders are effectively served by mm-hmm. their boards and managers. And we'll just go through these. He thinks directors should be paid in stock, not cash, and their investments in the company should be meaningful. He said, we have several independent directors on many of our boards, and we want them all to invest. We will give them options. We will loan them money to buy stock. We want them to do well, and we want them to be in the same boat with other shareholders when there are hard times, so they are motivated to make improvements. Yep. Number one, most important thing of all, the key here the is, is, well, what's key is the size of the investment relative to the importance of the salary for them. If this is an important part of their net worth. Um, now, if it gets to be too big and stuff, then it won't matter. But if they're not a super rich person, some sort of billionaire or something, but they have a lot, uh, a large stake um, relative to like their salary and stuff, then this is really helpful. In most cases where I see this, where people get excited about the problem is it's not that important because they own two and a half times their salary or something, right? So mm-hmm. that that's not important. But if they have... Um, $3 million worth of stock and are paid $200,000 a year. That's huge. They're thinking like a shareholder then, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How do you separate that from these professional managers that may get hired on and maybe don't have that $3 million? Then it's a, it's a question of, the, I mean, we can overdo the focus on incentives. You'd be surprised how much sometimes people behave contrary to what their incentives are from financial incentives because there are other reasons. But if you are hoping to be treated well as a shareholder in a situation in which management is an operator but not an owner, you're just basing it on their ethics and their understanding of things that have to do with their personality and stuff. You have to psychoanalyze them a little bit because they have to do it without actually having any reason why they should do it from mm. personal benefit, from greed and stuff. So it is, but there are many people who will do things uh, without financial benefit from them because they get other kinds of benefits and believe it is right to do it. And so if you can figure that out, that's great. And, and they may, they may do that. Um, so, you know, yeah. I, it, it always bothers me when you see a micro cap that maybe have a stock that is less than $5 or $10 and there's just no, I mean, it's not like a Berkshire Hathaway $500,000 stock. I mean, it's literally like they have nothing invested in it or anything they do was given to them yeah. by the company. Uh, number two, the size of corporate boards should be limited. This is something I feel very passionate about, uh, <laughs> just as much as number one. And really because of direct yeah. experience, right? We've talked about yeah. joining boards, but we're like, we wouldn't get anything done. They're just appeasing and putting one 
extra person on there, right? But he says, more gets done with five to seven outside directors in a room than with 12, 15, or more. Management representation should be limited to the chief executive. Yep. The easiest way if you want to like control a board and stuff is make it bigger, right? You want to dilute whatever resistance there is to what things you want it to do. So you make it bigger over time and stuff. So, um, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Um, and a small board, it's harder to, a small group of people have anything. It's harder to, um, stop them switching from doing one sort of thing to another. Uh, it would be harder to be sure of of um it's easier for a small group to arrive at a consensus that isn't based on the original kind of tribal affiliations that they had and stuff their alignment it's just much easier so um you know they could come to tougher decisions and stuff a larger group really is has to come almost factional you can't really consider 13 different people's personalities but you can consider three important people who then are are kind of having three different people following each of them and stuff you know it can break down like that but um yeah I agree. Smaller board is better. Yeah. Uh, number three, boards should have the ability to pick up the phone at any time and call the chief financial officer to monitor how the company is doing and to get information. I bet you a lot of companies would not like for this to happen. Uh, and he says, this should not be considered, in quotes, going around the CEO. And it is essential that directors are able to talk freely to people that are intimately involved with the financials and a lot of the other issues of the corporation. Yeah. Um, obviously, if you have a big board with a lot of outside directors and stuff, you wouldn't want that. They wouldn't know what they were talking about and everything. Um, and I could see why people wouldn't want that. I, I In most things I read with uh, talking to people and stuff, I think that they underemphasize the importance of the CFO. I think the CFO is often very important. And um, at, at smaller companies and things, probably harder to replace than the CEO. Mm -hmm. uh, number four, like the companies. Yeah. Yeah. Number four, the information the typical director gets in a big public corporation is not sufficient to determine how well a business is doing. He says directors need to be given more than just the routine corporate filings and quarters press releases to know what's going on, act to head off problems or seize opportunities. Directors should have breakdowns of sales and earnings and return on investment by product line. I love that. Absolutely love that. Mm -hmm. they, need, they need detailed knowledge of how a company is doing compared to its competitors and against internal forecasts. So internal forecasts, right? Against it. Yeah. That's an accountability measure right there, right? And also just like, hey, does it even make sense for this business line to exist? Return on investment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the easiest way um, to not deal with certain problems and stuff is just to combine them, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was KKR's big thing with Safeway is that Safeway actually didn't know uh, what the returns each store was getting and stuff. The way that they had set up the company, it wasn't possible for them to know how much assets each store was using and what the returns were. So they couldn't tell what high returning stores and low returning stores were because of the uh, setup that they had for the um, uh, financial analysis in their own company. Mm. And then fifth, he says, finally, and perhaps most controversially, each year the board should have an outsider come in to review and discuss what strategic alternatives are available to the corporation. The board should understand the value of the company if sold to a third party and how value could be increased if a division were sold and the capital reinvested. This is an extremely controversial but important point. Critics often think that in conducting this kind of review, a company is just 
putting a for sale sign on itself. At the same time, how can a company's directors really know if a management is following the right strategies unless they have the measures and alternatives to which to compare them and the opportunity to weigh the pros and cons of other courses of action? Question mark. So again, it's kind of back to understanding where you are, where you're going. The big takeaway I have from here is one word, accountability. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and Warren Buffett at Berkshire Hathaway can, for the most part, do this for himself right? He could impose that on himself if he wants to, of knowing that I really shouldn't be in the textile business. But Burlington Industries didn't have to deal with that necessarily, even though they had a board and all those things, they could still disguise that and not deal with that reality and stuff by saying we're in this business and we have to be in it or whatever. Um, Yeah, I mean, I agree with this. And this is where we get to the things where I sometimes sound like I'm negative on private equity things. I'm actually, our strategy and things that we do is very similar to private equity. And I find private equity to be the biggest competition for ideas that I have. And that's true since I started investing. Um, My complaint is that what private equity does is for the most part something that companies could do for themselves and choose not to do, mostly because it avoids unpleasantness and stuff for management. And like in the book, The New Financial Capitalists, you know, they talk about how important it was for them to keep on management, whatever. They actually switch a lot of management after the initial phase, but it's very important for KKR and those deals to have management buy into the initial transaction so it's a friendly deal, right? And so giving management part of the company and stuff it actually allows them to pay up a premium and everything to do this. Whereas a lot of the things that private equity does at different companies could easily be done in the public markets, sometimes not quite as well and whatever, but um, you can raise capital, you can buy back stock, you can sell off things. You can easily come up with three to five year plans regularly when you see a problem with the returns on capital and stuff that your business has. Your stock doesn't do well for a while. You could easily have the board say, let's come up with a five-year plan. Let's put on however much times EBITDA on debt. Maybe at a public company, it'd be three times instead of six or whatever they would come in with at KKR. Back in these days, it was very high. But, um, you know, and let's uh, come up with a plan to get rid of these units that don't meet this and to sell these things off. And, you know, like the Japanese trading companies and some Japanese companies are doing now that trade below book value, but companies could do this all the time and they don't. And uh, a lot of the stuff that private equity does is a lot of the return is really based on very low hanging fruit that it's just possible that by really carrying out social skills, um, they're able to get enough buy-in from different people to avoid an unpleasant situation and to do something in a friendly way that really doesn't involve all that much. They, they do a lot of planning and all sorts of complex things, but if you look, that doesn't get them as much of the return as you might think. Um, a lot of this is really basic in just taking a company that has not focused on shareholder returns and then getting them 100% focused on it. And it's just through incentives and the alignment of it and the buy-in. And um, that could be done a lot of different ways while keeping the company public, you know? Um, and, and so that's the the big problem that I see there. But yeah, in terms of individual business use and stuff, this is very important that companies review this and should we sell this and should we get out of this? And they, they tend not to. And then they tend to make really bad decisions because they either then throw up their hands and say, we're putting ourselves up for sale, which legally in the United States and stuff is, I mean, 
you're putting yourself in play, it, it really starts a process that is uh, is completely different than running a public company normally. And, and, and so they kind of do that. Or they say, we're not doing that, right? Or we want to exit this business. Basically, they don't just put up a, they don't just say, what kind of interest rate we have in this? They say we're a seller and we want to sell fast. What what, what price are we going to get and stuff like they they you know they really sh- hurt themselves in both cases by making the decision that we either definitely will sell this unit or sell the whole company or something instead of saying well we'll sell at some price and we won't sell at another price and so let's see what the prices are that we can get instead they get a worse deal because they say we're definitely selling or we're definitely not selling because they make that kind of commitment based not on price, but on other things. They don't say we're a seller at some prices and not at others. They're, they're not like the outsiders, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got it. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with the both of us on the Focus Compounding Podcast. Uh, I'm going to put this letter in the description. So if you want to, uh, or this talk or essay, um, yeah, uh, co-founder of KKR, Corporate Governance and the Power of Ownership 1998 essay. Uh, in the description. So if you want to read that for yourself, be sure to check it out. If you're interested in learning about our money management services, you can reach out to me at andrewfocuscompound.com. Be sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening or watching us here today. And we will see you in the next podcast. Take care.